Well, lucky listeners, have we got a treat for you today. We've got our first caller in, Gary Gamon from Crawley. Hi, Gary. Thanks for calling into the show. How are you? I'll be honest, Dylan. I don't normally listen, but uh, I'm currently disgusted at what used twos are promoting to your wokey lefty fans. Oh, yes, Gary. What's that then? What, what are we promoting? As if you don't know, you lot are as bad as the bloody nurses. I think it's absolutely appalling that you have got the nerve to go on strike again. You got your bloody offer. What more do you greedy lot want? Well, Gary, you know, some people would argue there's a lot more to it than just that. I shouldn't give a monkeys, to be honest, Dylan. The King's coronation's coming up. We're supposed to be enjoying this time. And now I've got to occupy my son, Malcolm, at home for another day. Right on the lead up to his year six sets. Because you lot are too selfish to consider that, aren't you? Well, Gary, what do you say to perhaps the king could move his bank holiday, which happens to take place on a day on the actual week of the sats you're talking about? <laughs> you are honestly disgusting. Dis- you d- disgusting. How dare you insult our king like that? Do you, do you not think we can take one day out to come together as a country for an important event? Or is that too right wing for you? No, Gary, Gary, I guess you're, you're maybe right there. Maybe you do have a point. And the King's coronation is actually far more important than saving our failing education system, making sure that teachers as professionals can actually keep up with inflation and can afford to heat their homes. I truly believe that wearing red, white and blue for a whole day is far more important than that. And how dare we be striking? God save the King. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Teach, Sleep, Repeat. My name is Dylan. And my name is Hayden. And I'm quite pleased you didn't interrupt me this week, Hayden. Thank you. <laughs> I was tempted, I must admit. Well, you know what the script is. <laughs> it's the same every week, apparently. And I'm really conscious of it now. I think maybe next week I'll try some some kind of different introduction. Don't know what it is. Now you yet. know how I um, felt when people were, you know, mocking the way I said my name back in episode one, <laughs> back in the day. Well, do you remember? Do you remember back then? Back yeah. when TVs were black and white. It was crazy. It was single digits, wasn't it? Before we were double digits in single our digits. Double digits now. Yeah, when I was younger, just made me think of this very quickly. Very, really odd tangent that we're going on literally seconds into the podcast. Mm. Did you ever have those like weird things you believed when you were younger because you're a child and no one's ever explained it to you? I got to about nine or ten years old be- before I realized that the actual world wasn't black and white. I thought the, the the actual planet we lived on was black and white until like the 40s or 50s. And then that's what I thought happened when, when colour yeah. recording came I, was, I can't think of any good ones now, but I know for a fact that there were tons of those sorts of things. That growing up, you realise these things and you realise how silly it was that you thought that thing for so long. But I can't think of any good examples. If they, if they come to me, I will just blurt them in this podcast. Just blurt them out. And maybe we can... Um, Ask people at home if they have something similar than that because mm. it's such a common thing. Like it almost, it's almost on par with, you know, genuinely some children. I know it's a joke, but they genuinely don't think that teachers exist outside of school. Like because <laughs> yeah. no one's ever, you know, when they see you, that <laughs> yeah, illusion is yeah. just shattered. That was actually one of the things that that, ge- that did genuinely happen for me. So I remember being in year two and having my sort of world blown when I found out that this wasn't true. But I really genuinely believed that my teacher slept in the attic of the school and she'd always point <laughs> up to this like you know the classic square like square tile ruse where you can just push them up yeah. easily she'd always say like yeah i sleep in there and, and i fully believed it i had no reason not to <laughs> and then when i found out that wasn't true i did feel like a bit of an idiot remember we are raising a whole generation of children who believe that we're cousins so you know they will believe <laughs> yeah, whatever <laughs> oh it still happens every uh, now and then someone says oh is your cousin doing this or your brother <laughs> oh and i know they're talking about you it's brilliant Oh, crazy. Um, but yeah, so this is first week back after half time. And we actually 
carried on the podcast throughout the half term. And only when you mentioned to me, you were like, oh, we could have had a break. And I was like, oh, we could have, but we love doing it. We're yeah. back. We're here. And many of you might know, obviously, we don't record it on a Friday morning. That would be ludicrous because it's released on a Friday morning. It's currently Wednesday evening. So we just had three days. And how are you feeling, Hayden? Oh, God, I, do you know what? <laughs> I am exhausted. I am exhausted. <laughs> it's been thr- I just, please tell me if you're listening, please write in and tell me that it's not just me and maybe Dylan who mm. once you have, I've have a week off or two weeks off in this case, I honestly, I, it takes me like a week to adjust to go to going back to working, working full time at school. It's just so exhausting. Do you feel the same? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, maybe other teachers can kind of comment on this, but I feel like it's a constant wave. I think the first week back, it just hits you like a train, doesn't it? And mm. then I feel personally, I really hit my groove week two, week three, week four. And then it kind of slides back down again. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds pathetic, doesn't it? I can imagine people listening to this who have four weeks off a year. And we talked about this with director time. We don't need to go back into justifying how much work we do and how much time off we get. It's time off in quotations. But it, you know, it must, must sound crazy when we're like, oh God, yeah, it's been, we just had two weeks off. And we're three weeks in now. And we're just knackered. It's like, <laughs> but it's true. It's just so intense, yeah. isn't it? It's crazy. I get uh, my voice, um, like my throat hurts. I don't know about you. That always happens to me in week one. Always within the first day or two, really, really sore throat. And I think it's just from, you just, you talk a lot, you talk loudly a lot at school with yeah. kids and, uh, and it's not normal. Like you don't do that outside. So you relax for two weeks, <laughs> just talking normally. You go back to just constantly speaking a bit louder to lots of people. I've made that point before. It's it's so true that, you know, what your base level voice as a teacher is twice as loud as any other time in your life ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've said before, um, and I've said to the children, because we talked about this, don't we, before, about how personally, I know you're similar, I don't like bellowing at the children. I've always mm. had this weird thing of, I'm this, you know, imposing old, like uh, old, say old person, not that old, imposing adult with like a, a booming voice if I want to have one. And the idea of me bellowing, absolutely bellowing constantly at these children, I just feel uncomfortable with doing that. But the, what I say to the children is, look, I, I don't like having a go at you guys whenever I have to complain about something. It's like, I hate it. I don't like complaining. And actually, when I use my voice, it's for safety. Do you know when we absolutely shout at them? Yeah. But then I also made the point to them because they were doing a performance. And you know what children are like when they get their books up to the front. It's so sweet because for some children, just standing at the front of the room, sit reading something they've written to their peers, that's enough for me. I'm like, cool fantastic you know you can mumble into your page all you want because that's where you are in terms of your public speaking Mm. and stuff but i remember stood in front of the children making the point of saying can you imagine speaking like i'm speaking now sat at the table with your parents at dinner like it's completely different yeah and when you come up to the front you use your normal talking voice which is much more soft because you're just chatting you're just chatting with your mates like this but listen to what i'm doing now (laughs) i'm making sure my voice fills this room and they were like oh yeah and they kind of all realized how a natural voice when you're teaching is it's actually really loud. It's an interesting paradox, actually. Um, anyone that's listening, anyone, any teachers will know this. Children, constantly pretty loud. It can get quite frustrating. Always trying to, you know, quieten them down in, during a lesson. That's just a common thing. You ask them to read something at the front of the class. <laughs> and if you say to them, oh, could you speak up, please? It's not loud enough. 100% of the time, they will ne- they will not increase the volume of their voice. <laughs> I've never, ever, ever actually experienced a child going, oh, yeah, sorry, I'll be louder now, and then being louder. They don't do it. They look at you, they nod, mm-hmm, carry on reading, exactly the same volume. If anyone's ever witnessed anything different, 
I don't know. You might you might want to you know, be a bit worried because that's not normal. <laughs> the best the best thing they do sometimes is they'll just lower their book slightly, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's happening. Oh. Same. Couldn't hear him. Can't hear him. <laughs> I'm, I'm sat at the front next to them, and I'm like, what? Sorry, I can't, I can't oh. hear you. Oh, bless him. But yeah, I mean, in terms of first week back, it, it's just it's just crazy. I felt really good actually during the week. I, I love I love it when you see your class again for the first time after a break. I absolutely love it because I just want to just. I want to see them. <laughs> That's the first thing. But also, they're just full of beans. They come in. They're making laughs. They're joking. Um, there's just so so many funny moments with the children off the cuff when they're just like just saying hi for the first time and mm-hmm. they're just acting cool, trying to make you laugh. And I just I just love it. And when it got to Wednesday, which is obviously today, because <laughs> this is the other thing <laughs> that people always take the mick at us about is because we stopped working on Wednesday. <laughs> and I know we, we walk around, oh God, I'm knackered. And they're like, yes, I've got two more days of this. <laughs> and already, how long has it been since we've been doing three days? Like I think a year and a half, maybe. Mm. I can't imagine carrying on. And again, people listening to this who are teachers, more than likely, very sorry, it's Friday for you and you've got your last day. <laughs> but it's just crazy. You just fit what you're used to doing. Like yeah. I, I've kind of realized that, you know, whatever you're doing at that time, it's just like you will fit, your mind will just become exhausted by the end of it. I think what Dylan's trying to say to anyone listening is, um, yeah, it's Friday, you're on your way to work. We're not. We are <laughs> sat home, uh, feet up probably. Most likely Dylan's probably thinking about you guys and how you're doing work and he's not. Uh, we're having a good day, actually. We're probably still in bed. I'll be honest with you. So yeah, you know, it's tough doing three days a week. We find it really tough, but enjoy your oh, work stop day. It. Stop it. Those, um, <laughs> those, the, that audience size is going to shrink after that. Oh. Um, but I tell you what, it, it's a good chance. If you're listening to this and it is 8 a.m. on the Friday, there is a good chance I'm just sat in bed posting on Instagram that the episode the episode's just come out because that's what I get to buy a bit of doing. So you sit there and listens to it on repeat to get more views. Oh, we've had, we've had five <laughs> plays now. Four of them are Dylan. I've actually gone out and bought four more phones so I can get four more unique <laughs> listeners just because it measures the devices. <laughs> get on the iPad. Come on. Oh, get on the TV. Look, if you are listening and you want to help us out, we're trying to reach a big audience, obviously. We love doing this and we want more people to listen and write us in stories so we can tell you funny stuff. So check us out. Head to Teach Sleep Repeat Pod on Instagram or you can email us at Teach Sleep Repeat Podcast at gmail.com. Is that right? Yeah, a bit awkward because you've got them wrong. They're all right. I'm learning. I'm, you usually no, do this bit. One, I thought I'd come Yeah, in. the one without the Gmail mm. is longer because it doesn't have the Gmail. So that was my reasoning. So is it? Have the Gmail. So I'll just go for Teach Sleep Repeat Podcast on Instagram, Teach Sleep Repeat Pod at gmail.com. Right. And I was just thinking, Aidan, got a quick challenge for you before we play the beat and just crack <laughs> on with the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Um, what percentage of our podcast now is us just plugging ourselves, do you think? Uh, 20%. Follow us for more. <laughs> You'll remember last week we mentioned how we put the question to you. We're not going to plug the Instagram again, but that's where it was. You sometimes get access to some polls to see what we're going to talk about. And the option was between homework and teacher training. Homework one. And we're now going to render that poll completely useless because this week, as you've seen from the title, we're going to talk about teacher training. <laughs> so all you really voted on was the order that we're talking about them. Um, but yeah, you've seen the title. If you clicked on this, we have two types of uh, listeners, by the way, Hayden, just actually from me seeing the insights, we get those repeat listeners yep. who will honestly click on anything. We could say, don't click on this. And they're probably clicking it anyway. They listen to it now. <laughs> do the rhyming, you know, anything, anything they normally do get into their habits. Yep. But 
We've also got another group of people, and this is where sometimes our unique listeners fluctuate because they might see a title and think, oh, I'm going to click on that. So this might be something that you specifically clicked on because you want to learn about it. You might be training to become a teacher. So Hayden, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Mm -hmm. What is teacher training really like? Well, Dylan, if I answered that too quickly, then the podcast will be over really quickly, wouldn't it? So (laughs) teacher training, well... I, could, shall I reflect on on my teacher training a little bit, or you know, what do you want me to do here? Um, I want you to answer my question. What is teacher training really like? It's tough. I'll say that it's tough. It's it's not an easy year. I do see um, uh, posts from people and various Facebook groups that are going through their kind of training year, or they maybe they're an ECT, used to be called an NQT. We'll talk about that later. And that yeah, a lot of them come to the realization. I think that yeah, it's really, really, really tough. I would say I had no life whatsoever, honestly, during my training year. I was just 100% fixated on it, which it was a good thing because I was passionate at the time. That's all I wanted to do. So it worked really well. But it, yeah. You, you think, chose that lifestyle, right? It wasn't. Yeah, I, you know. I knew it. I knew it was going to be like that. Um, I did the PGCE, as did you, which is the one year teacher training course. Um, there are different options, of course. You can, you can get into teaching a few different ways. One of them being the kind of classic three year um, bachelor's degree at university, teacher training, but there are other routes for postgraduates as well, such as the PGC or schemes like Teach First, where you might even be able to be paid to actually come and do your training year. That's always a good option for people. But yeah, we just did the classic PGCE. And um, yeah, I've got a few funny memories. Uh, I don't know if you want me to sort of go into these memories now, Dylan, or if you wanted to talk about your introduction to teaching. No, I think we've got, listen, teacher training is an absolute goldmine for stories. I think we've got plenty this this week, which I'm really looking forward to. But I kind of want to just dive deeper into like the, the actual logistics of it and give an impression of what it actually involves. Because it's such a big thing. And I, I'm thinking people clicking on this might be thinking one day they might become a teacher. If they're younger, they're at university, they're a student. Mm. And you spoke about PGCE. Just to clarify, Hayden and I went to university uh, and studied different things. I studied history. You studied... Film, radio, and television. Oh, so putting that to good use here at the podcast, really. <laughs> yeah. um, but but then, obviously, after that, the PGCE, it's just one extra year. It's like get master's credits and you become qualified teacher status as well. Um, but it's just, I think widening this up just giving that kind of insight into you kind of touched on it there it's really intense and what really interests me is as two young people who went into it kind of fresh we just worked a supermarket didn't we both of us separate supermarkets uh because if Hayden and I's lives weren't parallel enough we also had the same (laughs) job before we went into teaching (laughs) um but we were fresh it's all we knew so we kind of dived into teaching head first absolutely loved it dedicated all our time to it didn't mind putting weekend time into it because it was our passion, like you said. Yeah. And I think as as the time's gone on, you reflect back on your teacher training and you just think that was so intense. And you can see why people flounder a little bit and worry and get themselves in the tears because you have to commit so much time to it. And what really strikes me is something I really loved about my teacher training. And it was so helpful to me is that very, very quickly we formed a kind of friendship group of people who were going through it at the same time as well. And someone we're really good friends with, both of us now, uh, who quit his job after working for 20 years as an engineer to become a teacher. Mm. And I'll always remember him saying, guys, <laughs> you don't understand how much work this is. But that, that was, and he was in, you know, a very decent <laughs> job, a very well-respected yeah, job. And he always, yeah, he always grounds us. And he says, listen, boys, 
you have no idea. Like, because it was because it was normal. And what I'd say to people training at the start of their career is, I don't think we did this enough, Hayden, at the time. And looking back now, it's laughable is to really just listen to those more experienced people, whether it's more experienced people who worked outside of the profession telling you, no, no, you need to slow down. You're going to burn out. Like they, they know that. Yeah, but yeah. also those teachers who've done it for 25 years. So how do you think they've survived 25 years in this profession? Back then it was like, oh, why are they, why are they complaining about this new, this the new thing SLT have introduced where, you know, all we've got to do is spend an hour putting some marks into an Excel sheet. What's so bad about that? And, <laughs> and then now, honestly, you look back and you just think, wow, if you're training to be a teacher, listen to the experience. And if you, even if you think you don't agree with them at that moment, just take it in because it's valid. And that's such a, such a really, I want to hold on to that. And I, I wish I could tell myself that if I went back. Was there anything that you'd want to tell yourself if you went back and just think, just do this slightly differently? Oh, it's a tough one. I think, I don't know. I, I got really obsessed, really obsessed with um, like particular areas of knowledge. <laughs> that sounds really silly, but I don't know. I don't know where I got it from, but like I was- What do you mean? Like specific, like, like subject knowledge subject or knowledge. teaching? Subject right. knowledge, which is really weird. I don't know why. I can't really remember where it came from, but I look back now and it's funny because- that all that subject knowledge that I focused on back then is probably like 2% of the subject knowledge I now have because, because you teach so much random stuff over your career where you change year groups, you change schools, you change topics, you change subjects, you do different things all the time. And you're constantly just learning and then teaching different stuff. Like you can't just know all of it um, beforehand. You just kind of have to touch up on these things. And I remember being obsessed with like, no, this thing has told me I need to know the parts of a plant. I need to know the parts <laughs> of a plant. I have it on my wall. I learned the parts of a plant. And I also need to know this like specific geography thing. I have to know this. It's told me and I've got to do it in the course. And then like, I look back now and I'm like, God, oh, so naive. Like that was like <laughs> one of about 400 different topics I've now since taught. You know, it's just so silly. Like, just chill out. Like you said, I didn't need to sit there stressing about this mm. stuff. What I needed to focus on was the pedagogy, which I still think is a really good good advice for people. The, the important stuff was that this is how you teach. This is psychology. This is how it works. Uh, these are the different ways that children's brains will react in different situations. You need to understand all of them so that you can identify in a moment and be adaptable to a particular situation so that you can provide the best learning experience for that child. That for me, like I, I kind of put that on par with all this random subject knowledge. And to me now I'm like, cool, the subject knowledge is almost like, I'll learn that when I need to learn it, it's fine. Okay, we'll pick that up. I would just draw very quickly, I, I, I think maybe you probably think the same thing, but there are there's certain subject knowledge I would put on the same par as pedagogy. Maths I, I think, and English? You know. Is it a bit different? I'm thinking like the the plant the plant stuff. I was yeah, of course. Like me, me knowing the me knowing the like the, the names like specifically remembering at that point yes. the the names of like um, parts of plants. I put that on the same level as um, also mm. learning about you know how the brain works. Yeah, no. and safeguarding and and all this, yeah, all this yeah, other yeah. really I, important I think, stuff. Yeah. Oh god, I just that. If I could go back, I'd be like, right, just chill out. Go and actually have an hour to yourself for a start. Just forget about that stuff for now. You can learn that later. Okay. If you've got a topic coming up about plants, learn it then. You'll be fine. But right now, have an hour off and then focus on, you know, the more important stuff about how teaching actually works. The bits that you really need to know to be a good teacher. So in terms of teacher training, okay, this is something we've touched on before, but I really want to dive deeper into this now. If you were to break up teacher training uh, into time at university, mm. time in school, yeah, time studying pedagogy, like out, like in the books outside of university mm. and outside of school 
and literal just throwing yourself into the community of the school, talking to teachers, listening to them, chatting to them informally. How would you rank them in terms of you personally, how much you feel they molded you into a good teacher? Yeah, that's a really good question because I reckon people give different answers to this one. So for me, and I think you might agree with this first part, the most valuable part of teacher training, I don't know if this, does this count? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the bit just after teacher training when I was dumped in a school and it was mm. like, that's your responsibility now. But if I'm going back a step, mm. let's say that bit's not included because I, I technically have qualified by that point. Yeah, the sure. most valuable part was the placements. So being yes. in school um, was like by far for me that I the most learning experience I had. And I would put second um, the pedagogy stuff. I personally mm. really enjoyed learning about like you you know all the psychologists that come up for our course and learning about like how this all works why stuff works why we do certain things in schools and also more importantly i found the things to avoid there's a lot of natural things i think that people would do and if someone random came into the into the classroom and i said they've never taught anything before and i said go on teach this subject they'd probably do a bunch of things i'd sit there being like (laughs) they clearly don't know this (laughs) and i'd be thinking of some pedagogy that i learned i think it's really important um, I know other people might not value it as much, but no, I, I think it's because there's got to be something that separates us as professionals, right? Because realistically, let's strip it back. You talked about subject knowledge, right? You don't need to know everything off the top of your head for certain subjects, but there are certain things in terms of maths and English we do, whatever. Yeah. But my point here is that nearly, you know, every single adult in the professional world would be able to teach themselves the stuff that we're teaching these eight-year-olds, right? Yeah. In half an hour before. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that, that you're absolutely right. To me, that's irrelevant. That is genuinely almost irrelevant because cool. If I'm expecting an eight-year-old to grasp this, then I can still be a specialist in certain things, but there's other stuff which I can just pick up. Average Joe can pick them up. There's got to be something that kind of separates us as a profession. And I think that pedagogy is a huge part of that. It's like, mm you know but i think also experience is a huge part of that because you can be book smart when it comes to teaching right the zone of proximal development vygotsky it was brilliant on paper and i was like cool Mm -hmm. what it essentially boiled down to was you need to challenge the children enough that they're going to make progress but not enough that they're switched off and they can't access it like that's basically what it boiled down to which made sense and it was brilliant to sit there and learn all these things but i would say from my teaching experience working with the children and equally, if not more, having unbelievable teachers to watch, to learn from, and to actually get insight from. And for me to be able to say, and I've said it before, I know she listens to the podcast. I'm not going to name drop you. Don't have, don't have, don't have, don't, <laughs> don't name drop you, Fran. I don't want to make you feel, <laughs> oh, oh dear. Ooh, um, ooh. But I always say the same thing. I walked in, first day of teacher training, they, I, I remember it vividly because it was that, that moment where I thought, oh, I think I'm in the right job. I walked in, teacher training, walked around the corner. Fran, the t- my, my teacher who I um, did my first placement with, was handing out lab coats and silly goggles because her class that morning were doing a class assembly. And just watching the way she was with the children, the command she had over them, whilst not being stressy, not being horrible, being lovely. And then as weeks went on, watching her teach and deliver these lessons to different varying abilities, knowing the children inside out, building the bonds with them, seeing how that all built together to this huge, massive like thing with all these moving parts. That inspired me. Like as a, t- as a teacher, I rank that as number one, like mm. above everything of me just going in the classroom, watching an expert, learning from an expert and then practicing it myself. I put that way above uni. 
And I think a lot of teachers do the same thing because at university, whilst it was fantastic and I did maths as my specialism, as you know, Hayden, because I'm a math specialist and you <laughs> are. I don't think. No, I just have but, a master's um, in education. Carry on. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, was it in maths? <laughs> just shut up. No, okay. Get out of here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but the point is some fantastic stuff in university, but also, I'm not going to lie, sometimes we'd go to art at university and we would just do an art lesson. Like, I'm not joking. Like we'd get the lecturer who would talk for 10 minutes about what an art lesson might be. I'm like, cool. Can you make a tortoise out of paper mache? And I'm like, well, I can, but is this the best use of my time right now? You've, I'd love um, to know if it's still the same. You've literally like not ruined, but hilariously kind of told a story that I was going to tell. I had it written down. Oh. I was like, I'm going to tell this. It was a funny part of my teacher training was... Art and DT, I went to my, it was like the one art and DT session we got because the PGC was so crammed. You had to yeah. do so many different subjects. And a lot of it was actual practice, which is the best thing. Like it was, it was put that way, which is good. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, this one session, I didn't really feel like I learned anything about teaching whatsoever. They, I just had to make, I just basically turned myself into a massive elephant. <laughs> There's a picture of me somewhere. I will find this picture for you. I also had hair, so that'd be more fun. There's a picture of me with hair before I shave my head. <laughs> Uh, dressed up as an elephant and that's all I did in that two hour session on my, in my PGCE I didn't I don't honestly I don't think I learned a thing um, oh. but I had fun making an elephant it was really good fun it was really good fun but that's not the point the point is actually you know we're, we've only got a year and I think just in terms of teacher training my goodness get yourselves watching some amazing teachers because still to this day I, I find it the most valuable thing as a teacher to go and see someone else doing it and be like, wow, that was, a, that was so good. And then I get excited. I get excited then to go back to my children and try the same thing. Yeah. And I think the number one thing that helped me personally, again, in teacher training, uh, another reflection is just jumping, diving headfirst because it's scary at first. Hmm. I remember um, the first time I went into a school before my official teacher training, when I was just going in to observe, just to see if I liked the school environment, if it's what I wanted to do. The teacher asked me to read a story to the children and I said, no, <laughs> I was so scared. I was so nervous hmm. and it's ab absurd to me at this oh. point to think that it's nerve wracking, but it is. But yeah. all I can say is if you're going into teach training or in fact, any kind of job where you're a bit nervous, just dive head first, give it your best shot. Because actually in five years time, 10 years time, when you look back, you'll be laughing at yourself because the idea of me getting nervous reading a story to the children now is just crazy. And I, I'm yeah. sure Hayden, if someone asked you in your teacher training to pretend to blow a blow dart at one of the children because they didn't know the time's table, <laughs> I mean, you'd be so I nervous been, as well. I would have been like, yes, please. No, I would have been really nervous. And I was, I just to, just to jump in on that, I was also for a long time, to be honest with you, really, really, really nervous about being in front of the kids. Like even into my actual like first job, uh, I, I still had that proper nerve of like, oh my God, like I'm actually going to be in front of these, this class. I'd say throughout my NQT year, that's, you know, it, it went throughout that year, but it definitely wasn't instant. Like it took me a long time and I was totally faking the confidence for ages. Mm. And then it just, you know, it did just become natural. Like you said, with anything you do in life, honestly, just after a bit of time, it just, it just you know, it, it doesn't become as nerve wracking. Um, I'm just going to jump back to teacher training again, because one thing I've thought about whilst you were talking was um and you mentioned maths and obviously we're you know maths we're a bit biased towards maths we both like maths as our subject uh, you did a math specialism and it's always been a passion of mine as well and uh, but i i found that i learned so much about teaching and how to teach through my maths training 
And, and it was almost kind of applicable to all the other subjects as well. But I felt like maths was the core for me. Like I, I understood so much about how to present things to children in a way that they actually understand it how, and how different that is to how you'd present it to someone that's our age and how you actually have to consider that in teaching. Like you, you can't just, that's why I, you know, I gave that analogy about if I think if I just took a friend in to the classroom and asked them to teach some maths objective, I think it would just be hilariously bad quite naturally because I don't think the average person has any understanding or doesn't have much understanding. I shouldn't insult everyone. No, no, but you're right. have too much understanding of the pedagogy behind it. And I learned so much of that pedagogy. And I came to so many realizations when I was in those maths lectures and learning about like, no, no, you should present it like this because then you can take this child on this journey and this is going to make these connections in their mind because they don't have anything to build on. You're creating this knowledge for them. Oh man, I just, I, yeah, my mind was always blown in those math sessions. I hugely valued those ones. But you are right. There has to be something that separates us as a professional to someone who just knows how to add numbers. There, there has to be something there. Else we're not teachers. We're just regurgitating. Well, the degree would be pointless That's, otherwise, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You know, I know most of the degree is just practicing it, but there, there has to be some kind of differentiation and that's what we're good at. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends actually about this who kind of scoffed at the idea. It wasn't being rude or anything, but that another one of their teacher friends had said um, that they didn't know anything about, um, I think it was ancient Egypt, something to do with ancient Egypt or something like that, along those lines of history. And they kind of scoffed at it to me. I was like, can you, can you believe this teacher? This teacher said they didn't know about uh, ancient Greece. And they teach it in their year. They didn't know anything about it. Like, that's crazy. And I was just actually like, well... It depends. And they were like, what? They didn't know anything about it. And I was, and, and the, then their teacher friend had said to them and justified it by saying, no, I don't. But, you know, my job's more about learning how to teach. And then I can apply that to almost anything. And I think yeah. that's the core thing to get out of your teaching year is actually you are learning to be a teacher. You are not learning things else you'd just be getting a degree in history or a degree in maths or, yep. or something like that. You have to be learning how to teach. And then when you learn how to teach, I think I have got a lot better at being able to get a point across simplified. And, you know, that helps when I talk to adults or I discuss or I debate something, uh, you know, when I get <laughs> embroiled in a pol political debate, <laughs> I feel because of my teaching degree and my profession that I'm able to get a point across more succinctly, let's say, uh, and that helps me to get my point across and, and really dive deep into something. And what I feel like I'm good at as well as another thing that is a result of learning how to be a teacher and being at school is taking what is a 200 page national curriculum and being able to kind of summarize what it means in a professional discussion with our peers. You know, that that's, yeah, that's something, you know, these skills are a really big part of teacher training in my opinion. And I think You've made a really good point there about subject knowledge being vital in some degrees, but just to chill out a bit in others, because as a teacher, I think I could teach nearly anything to nearly anyone, given the amount of time for me to take in the information myself. So I've actually got up here, the teaching standards. Now, for those that are listening, if this is something you've planned, Dylan, because you're looking very- I'm, uh, I'm so angry. Like, but in a, in a, in a, in a really funny way. Right, go on. You say what, cause you look like you've planned. So I got this up on a whim. You look like you've planned something. Uh, what is it? I was going to lead into a discussion here about how we're judged on the teacher standards. 
Right. And I was going to quiz you on how many of the eight you could remember. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I wish you had now because I've got them up in front of me. So I've got, I've got a challenge, if you don't mind, then uh, with the teacher standards, right? <laughs> um, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to quickly go through them because we did actually mention them in a previous video when we were talking about um, like teacher pay and we were talking about teacher hours and all that sort of stuff, right? So go back and listen to that episode if you're interested in how teacher pay and holiday and all that stuff works and how many hours we really do do across the year. And one of the things I mentioned was this teacher standards because... It's, it's a weird job where we are only paid for a certain amount of hours, which we call our directed time, but actually there are way more jobs to do that you can't physically fit in that directed time. So what we have this is this wider net, which is called the teacher standards. And we have to meet these teacher standards. If we don't meet these teacher standards, then we will be fired. I'm just kidding. But we have to meet these teacher standards. It's part of our role. So the first, there's eight of them. I'm going to, I'm going to read them out to you very quickly. And then I'm going to ask you, Dylan, and it will be a hard one to do. I want you to pick one, the one teacher standard that you think is the most important. Oh, this is already going to be horrendously difficult. It's obviously going to be hard because they're all really important. As your listeners will hopefully understand, these are really important standards. But I think, and the only reason I've asked you this, Dylan, is because I think there's one for me that I think is kind of like above the rest. This will, this will be good because half our audience are teachers and I reckon... Honestly, before I read them, would I have been able to get all eight off the top of my head? Maybe with enough time, but I probably would have forgotten one or two. <laughs> yeah, the way yeah. it is. But also for our non-teacher listeners, this is a really good insight actually into almost our, you know, our kind of role has been condensed into this A4 sheet and these eight standards. Um, mm. So it'd be nice for them to actually listen to see actually, okay, if you had to summarize the job, it's these eight things. So I'm looking yeah. forward to this. I'm going to try and justify it. Uh, remind me, Hayden, go on. And we have to meet these eight things. And if we can't do, the, do them in our directed time, which we can't, by the way, you have to do them anyway. And that's the way the job works. So here we go. Teacher standard number one, set high expectations, which inspire, motivate, and challenge pupils. Teacher standard number two, promote good progress and outcomes by pupils. Number three is demonstrate good subject and curriculum knowledge. Number four is plan and teach well-structured lessons. Number five, Adapt teaching to respond to the strengths and needs of all pupils. Number six, make accurate and productive use of assessment. Number seven, manage behavior effectively to ensure a good, safe learning environment. And number eight, fulfill wider professional responsibilities. Good old T8. They dropped that one in there just to, you know, just scoop up any <laughs> other jobs believe- that they want you to do. <laughs> I can't believe that. I remember so vividly, by the way, that um, they wanted me to, uh, in, in my training year, they, they, um, asked me to help out the disco and said, yeah, it's because TSA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything falls into that, doesn't it? Yeah, you got to do this thing. Oh, do I have to do it? It's not in director time. Well, teacher standard eight. You've got to fulfill <laughs> wider responsibilities. So have you defined wider know. responsibilities? No. Uh, so not eight. <laughs> not eight. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling because yeah. I've said it a million times. The number one most important thing for me is that the children in our care are in a safe learning environment. So that's the me straight away. Can I re-clarify my question actually? Because I feel like I've set you up to not succeed very well there and it make it really hard. I think what I mean mean by my question is, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of teach training, which is the most important skill to develop as a teacher? Yeah. From these kind of teaching standards. It's hard. I'm probably going to, I'm going to say one. Okay, I'm just going to mm. take the plunge and do the opposite of what I always do, which is chat about all of them and then to come to some kind of conclusion. Yeah, go for I'm it. Say one, we'll go from there. Plan and teach while structured lessons. Cool. Do you reckon that was my one or not? Uh, oh, I don't know. I think it was. 
It wasn't. Oh, because this is the thing. There was another one when you read them. And I can't remember which <laughs> one it was now where I thought, yeah. uh, he, I know he'd like this one. Um, I saw oh, you I nod forgot. along at it. So I know which one you're yeah. thinking of because I literally oh. saw you sort of nod like Can that. you read them yeah. again? Can you read them again? Sure. Very so good. really quickly, you ready? I'm going to whisper them. Set high expectations, number one. Number two, promote good progress and outcomes by pupils. Number three, demonstrate good subject knowledge and curriculum knowledge. Number four was plan and teach, well-structured lessons. Number five is adapt teaching to respond to the strengths and needs of all pupils. Number six is make accurate and productive use of assessment. Number seven, manage behavior effectively. And number eight, fulfill wider professional responsibilities. Number two or number six, right? Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> what? Really what have you gone for? I feel like, you know, for me, the most important skill that I, I feel has made me a good teacher is number five, adapting. That oh, that's why I meant six. I thought that was six. I thought no, that that's was number six. five. That's number five. Right, 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 right. right. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. one. That okay. one for me, like, yeah. if I look back at what I think is the most successful part of, like, of my teaching career, mm-hmm. I think it is the ability to, because of all the pedagogy that I learned and also the experience I now have, is the ability to like rapidly, rapidly adapt what I'm doing mm. based on how a child responds verbally mm. or through body language to what I'm teaching and adapting it so that they learn better. Okay. Um, I guess my only response there is firstly, they are all really important skills to learn. And actually when you're yeah, doing your teacher training, it, it comes from this sheet. I remember my observation sheets and they would have to directly link to one of these standards. Like these are the eight things that you're literally judged on. Um, but I would say one thing that in terms of in your teacher training year, I guess it kind of overlaps a bit with plan and deliver while structured lessons, because yeah. actually planning good lessons means meeting the needs of your children. And you're, you're going to the next level of course, which is just on the spot, which I think is such an important skill. I think perhaps my, my response to that would be that that kind of on the spot, changing what you're doing, having the confidence to do that and having the knowledge of actually the curriculum and to say, okay, we're going to go slower because actually this is a priority and we need to make sure we get this. So I'm going to respond to your needs. I think that's something that you develop over time. Whereas I think planning and delivering well-structured lessons is something that through good practice in your teacher training and a good mentor and a good school that you can pick up within that year. So I guess in my teacher training, I wanted to finish the year and I feel like I did really confident in someone giving me an objective and I'll be able to produce a good lesson for that. Yeah. Back in, back in teacher training and maybe even your NQ2 year, NQT year, when you had to, certainly in your teacher training, when you had to provide full written plans, do you remember? Like yeah. you, you don't generally, I don't think there are many schools in the country where you have to provide or any schools really, where you have to provide a full written plan per lesson per day. But when you are training, you do have to do that. It's an enormous, enormous workload on top of the teaching because it takes a long time. Like, how do you feel about that kind of now on reflection? And also, is that any different to how you felt about it at the time? Doing those plans, Uh, writing them out. I think truly, uh, right now, I would think that they are vital to do when you're learning Mm -hmm. how to plan a lesson, right? And I think at the time, I probably was slightly resentful of them, but equally I found them really useful because it's not like, you know, I I didn't resent it that much because number one, I was fresh and I was passionate. And number two, it really helped me plan the lesson out. You know, now like this is what I mean about adapting and stuff. We know the curriculum so well, we know teaching so well at this point that I can open up a smart notebook, which is basically a PowerPoint for teachers. And I can create a lesson literally from the top of my head, small steps using resources that we've bought into as a school or as part of our scheme. 
Whereas absolutely could never have got to that point, in my opinion, without being so granular with the detail at the start of every step and why we're doing it and being able to justify that step and having the piece of paper there to talk through with my mentor and say, well, I'm doing a starter and I'm going to do the starter on this. And I've written down this because actually in the lesson, we need this skill. I want to make sure the children can do that in their, in their, in their actual lesson. And saying that out loud and writing it was a huge workload. You're absolutely right because it did add a lot on. And if someone asked me to do it now, I'd, be, I'd, I'd say no, because I don't need to. It's as simple as that. I think as a teacher, a trainee teacher, sorry, when you're doing a much reduced uh, you know, workload as in terms of number of lessons you're delivering, to yeah. me, that, that individual highly detailed plan was so important. And I would, I would really, from a, from a mentor point of view, if I had a student, I'd push them and push them and push them to do that and, and for their own good. And I'd be saying, look, this, I promise you, this is how eventually you're going to be able to do stuff off the top of your own head. Yeah, well, I've got nothing to add because I honestly, I feel exactly the same. I would have made the exact same point. So I'm glad we agree on that one. Uh, I think so as well. So on to maybe a, just a more lighthearted part of, of teacher training. I've actually got a funny story. I just remembered something earlier when, you know, that I can look back on and laugh and laugh about now. And probably the class teacher I was with at the time probably laughed at it as well, but was really kind <laughs> and never made me feel silly about it. Just let me do my thing. They but, actually um, told the story on their podcast, have they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. They didn't get me on. I would have told it myself. But you might find this quite funny just because it's just it's just classic me not being aware of my of the situation. What's well, just not okay. not having knowledge on something, right? And um, so when I was in my first ever placement, the first time I'd been dropped in a school, like it was terrifying but exciting at the same time. I was with year one, which if you know me, I've always taught in key stage two in my in my career. Uh, so that's for me, that's quite a, an odd experience for me. Even now I'd find it quite tricky because I'm not used to it. But I was in year one and um, something I really wanted to do because part of the course was like, think it was telling me to look at like behavior awards. What behavior awards and what like positive reward systems are there in the school? And uh, rather than, you know, maybe just looking around the school and finding out what they actually do, I just invented my own one. I was like, oh, I spent a whole evening inventing this thing. I was like, oh my God, this teacher's going to be so impressed with what I've done. I've got this pedagogy backing me up. <laughs> and because who knows better than a student on their first placement? Yeah, yeah. I thought they're going to be really impressed with this. I invented something called horse points. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Not even joking. I didn't even, I wasn't even really aware of the connection to house points which is like the really common thing that schools use. <laughs> I invented something cool. I will find a picture of this for you, Dylan. Because I've got oh, some please. somewhere. Please I invented do. horse points. I spent five hours one evening um, cutting out these little horses with like people riding them, jockeys, <laughs> um, in card. And I laminated them, cut them out. And I made one for each table. And then I made and laminated this really janky, big looking um, table in which all of the horses started on one side and they all had a name for each of the tables. And every time, you know, someone did something good, they might have earned a horse point for their table and their horse got to move one more along the track. <laughs> I, again, it wasn't until afterwards that I realized this looked exactly what, like a gambling, <laughs> like, you know, like horses moving along, <laughs> like in a race, like the horse racing, like a gambling thing. And I was like, I've just created this little gambling looking thing called horse points for kids. I was so proud of myself. At the time, and I never really understood why the teacher wasn't that blown away by it, because I thought it was. A, I thought it was. A, I was like, "This is immense! I spent hours on this. This is this is epic." 
You stood there, that classic thing of, you know, when someone's in a room watching you, it's an observation or something, and you think you're doing something well, and you end yeah. up looking at the person in the room yeah. more than the kids. All right, kids, <laughs> uh, staring at the guy. He's like, yeah. I've got horse oh. points, all right? And and just, he's <laughs> giving him the look. <laughs> got horse I, points. I could just imagine this, this point, and it's like the class who are already used to house points, you know, the widely accepted thing across the school, are probably like, oh, like talking to their actual teacher, uh, miss... Uh, and I'm imagine me in the corner just watching this lesson. <laughs> Miss, do I get do I get a house point for what for this one? And she has to walk and be like, no, but you you get your horse point. Go <laughs> nay, go and put your horse point up. Make sure you nay on the way up. Mister Stevens has come up with that rule, hasn't he? For some reason, go and nay on the way up to putting your horse point up. So. I said gallop, gallop. Don't walk, <laughs> gallop to the board. <laughs> oh, I might I might bring it back. You know, horse point. Please I'm gonna don't. find it. There's just that one crafty kid, just like in at break times, taking bets. Yeah, give you, I'll give you, I'll give <laughs> yeah. you five milk cartons of blue. <laughs> yeah. Also, I made it like ten points. It was so it's like ten points for a whole table. They got it in like a day. <laughs> it was so stupid. What was what the, was the prize? I don't. I can't remember. I don't think there was one. Oh, brilliant! Another, I don't think there was a string to this bow. <laughs> I just felt good for making this thing. I don't think. I don't think I'd, I obviously hadn't thought. I tell you what, though. Jokes fine. aside, right. Um, it is absolutely lovely when you get a student in who's like really proactive like that. That that's yeah. a net good thing. I know it's funny, haha, but getting those people in who are so genuinely interested. And I don't know about you, I I remember training. Me too. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of my point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you. I actually do remember training. Yeah, I remember training as well. Um, <laughs> but at the point. Um, I was sat, you know, when you're a student teacher and you kind of sometimes feel a little bit awkward wherever you are, because you're just a bit out of place, right? <laughs> yeah. And at the best of times, even when I work in a school, I, I just, I'm, I'm just awkward. <laughs> yeah, the running joker, I'm the awkward guy. And I, I just, you know, in the first school I worked out, you worked out with me, I should just sit in the corner and it wasn't because I didn't <laughs> like anyone. It's because I just wanted to sit like away from people. I just, anyway, um, what a lovely depressing picture to paint now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just sat in the corner. No one likes you, that's what, why. No, what I mean is I just <laughs> am slightly awkward, as you can tell. Um, but the but the the main point I'm making, you feel a bit awkward sometimes. I remember being sat in the back of the room and my uh, student teach, well, the, the teacher who I was with, who I was training with, um, was sat at her computer and they'd had meetings, right? They'd had meetings going on. And I think at the time as well, um, something to do with pensions was changing or something to do with pay. So, some Something, classic teacher moan when you wanted to have a bit of a teacher moan. And I was sat at the back with my folder out, you know, probably pretending to do some work so I didn't feel awkward. So, oh, it's funny. <laughs> Shade in the corner here. And oh, oh yeah, I'm just reading the teacher standards for the 15th time in a row because I'm just waiting for break time to finish and I awkwardly don't know what to do. <laughs> but they come in and one teacher kind of just burst in and obviously didn't see me at the back and goes to my teacher and it, it's just like, honestly spends five minutes ranting about how teaching is the worst job in the world <laughs> oh God, i wish i never got into this job i can't believe it you know every single year just this is being cut that's being cut funny how nothing changes in eight years isn't it but anyway I had this whole conversation and i remember her face when she turned and saw me the student teacher at the back who's just paying you know 10 grand to go to university and learn how to be a teacher and i was just like hey yeah and she was like oh god i'm so sorry <laughs> she just walked yeah. out again it's like should have should have known back then shouldn't we Oh, yeah, but no, we, but like you said, we didn't listen to the experience. 
Yeah, exactly. I should have walked no. out that door. No, like I'm, I'm being dramatic again. Um, but it's just funny. It's just funny how things are cyclical. 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 No, no. Cyclical. Underfed. Cyclical. Does it mean just, like kind of really skinny? I think so. Yeah. By the way, guys, um, you can't see this, but Dylan and I are really happy because we're sat here wearing our underfed t-shirts. Again, <laughs> if you're listening to this in the future, you can buy it from our merch store. If you're listening to this now, it doesn't exist. Probably won't exist. But uh, you know, I can't be bothered really. We just want look to at your calendar. Off. Look at your calendar. If it ends in 27, there's a merch store. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't, then crack on. <laughs> should we? Uh, should we wind this up here? Yeah. Go on then. All right. Let's play. The, let's play the little jingle, shall we? <laughs> All right. All right. I'll do it myself. Fine. If you're asking. Boom, boom, After training, obviously one of the most important things uh, is to find an actual job. Otherwise, nah. it was kind of kind of worth nothing, really. You got to find just a job. Into, I, would, I just thought we'd just get into huge amounts of debt and not do the job. Yeah, just do a podcast instead. <laughs> get some <laughs> podcast fair. money. All that customer interaction on the merch store. Looking make good, sure you share baby. our podcast because we want to make that podcast money. Have we asked them to share anyway. the podcast today? <laughs> uh, no, have we asked? We probably shouldn't ask them to share the podcast because it would come across needy. Too much. So too much. Too needy. That. Too needy. Please share it. Please. No, don't, please. Don't, no we, won't, we won't say that, Dylan. That's an example of what we won't say because it's needy. So please. we won't tell them to please share it with your friends please. so they, they they listen and write stuff in. Anyway, jobs. So I had a bit of a rough experience, I'll be honest with you. You know, walking in with my, my portfolio of horse points and other things I invented, <laughs> I thought I'd walk into a job easily. <laughs> um, but, excuse uh, me, horse points and I've turned myself into an elephant. Give me a job, please. <laughs> yeah, hello. So I did. I actually fell into quite a classic trap. I know other teachers have talked about this and it's just a, a trap I fell into and I did not listen. So at the placement school that I was working in, which I had developed a really nice relationship with. It was also the school I went to as a child. So I had this lovely relationship, long-standing like relationship with this, with this school. I had just convinced myself that I was going to get a job there. There was mm. a job going. Uh, my placement was going fine. You know, I was receiving good grades. Um, I was like, cool, that's my job then. Mm. Uh, interview came up. Obviously, other people went for the job as well outside of the school. and uh, And I just didn't get it. I didn't get the job. I didn't. And looking back, I did not put enough effort in. I gave that interview 90%. Um, I think I gave a lot to the the teaching part because I you know, put a lot of time into that element. But the interview, I completely stuffed it up. I did not practice. I did not, you know, look into what kind of questions I might be asked. And I remember feeling embarrassed because I just didn't know the answers to these questions. Did you have more job. of the placement left after the interview that you had to complete? Yep. Yeah, I did. So even more awkward because I had to then go back in the next day, the literal next day, knowing I didn't get the job and carry on doing my placement, working there for free. (laughs) I was paying to work there to learn. Mm. So that was really awkward. But you get over it. If it happens to you, if you listen mm. to this and there's something's coming up, do you know what? It's, I, I look back at it, it's it's nothing to me now. At the time, listen, it was horribly embarrassing, but listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't care. Hayden, we can't all get a job at the school that we worked at when we're training, okay? We can't <laughs> yeah, all right, all it's that. the first time. It's the first time. <laughs> well, you'll be pleased to know that I, I also failed my second interview as well. So, oh gosh. I, you know, c- coming away from that, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, just two. This is my, I had okay. two. Then my, well, I had three because I got my third one. Sure, sure. Um, you needed the job so, at the end of it. So, yeah, I needed it. I needed it. I needed a job. So, I just to make it worse, right? Uh, in the PGCE, we had to do an alternative placement. So, although we did most of our placements at one school, we did have to go and spend two weeks at another school just to get a bit of experience somewhere else. Uh, so, lo and behold, guess where I interviewed? Guess where I applied for my second job? Oh, not at your contrast. It was, yeah, it was, it was the contrasting placement, the alternative one. I was like, there you go. I was actually there 
um, at the time of that one as well, funnily enough. Oh, well, I'd no. just been there anyway recently. I think I was like a couple of weeks out of that placement. So I was, I was a fresh face. Uh, went to that one. And this is how I completely mucked up this one. <laughs> I prepared for my interview this time. And I taught, honestly, the worst lesson I've ever taught in my career oh my in this in this interview. It happens, guys. I just, it did not reflect my teaching ability, but I no. just taught the worst lesson ever. And it was because I was being far too adventurous. I recently discovered Singapore maths, which was like the buzzword at the time. And I was like, oh, bar modeling, which again was really kind of a new concept to a lot of us at the time. I'm sure other people had experience with it, but it was brand new for us. And it was like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna wow these, this school with this brand new pedagogy. I didn't really know what I was doing because bar modeling is one of those things where you don't just you don't just go in and teach a 20 minute lesson and expect children to know how to do it it takes a long time to build up that skill set with children i went in there the kids had not a, a foggiest as to what on earth i was talking about they do you know who else does nothing anyone who's not a teacher listening so <laughs> yeah, look, that's, look, that's look up look up what, what modeling is doesn't matter don't, yeah. don't, don't even do it don't even do it just just know this i went in there i taught something that i absolutely shouldn't have taught because i was being way too adventurous it was a terrible lesson and i didn't get the job there either i was feeling a bit deflated after that but I didn't give up. The moral of the story here is don't give up. The moral of the story here is if you're Hayden and you want a job, go to someone who's never seen you actually teach for weeks and then. <laughs> don't do it at the placement schools. Do it somewhere else. I'll tell you what though, um, from my point of view, having got a job at a placement school, um, really, like I, I, I know you've just said how you struggled, massively helped me. Massively oh, helped me. <laughs> Oh yeah, but well, helped well, your confidence, did it? Mm. No, no. Well, not even not not necessarily the confidence. What uh, didn't make you feel like a failure, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it did, didn't make me feel like an abject failure. No. <laughs> uh, what what massively helped me was everything I kind of learned by osmosis and the way they do stuff. I didn't have to go into another school. Not only having the pressure of being a brand new teacher in a school, not only having the pressure of being a brand newly qualified teacher just in my at the start of my career, but then I didn't have to learn from scratch the way the school does stuff. Like that was True. that was hugely beneficial, and the other thing is Hayden, if you hadn't have failed those two interviews, we might not be sat here today doing this <gasps> podcast. Oh, isn't that love? Do you feel like just kind of ignoring that? Do you feel <laughs> like it's a net like gain, like positive or negative to get a job in the only school you trained in? Firstly, it's never the only school because, as you just said, you do have a contrasting placement. So you yeah. you have always been in at least two schools in your training year. I understand what you mean because for eighty percent at least of that time, you're in one school. So you mean like in the school you spent most of your time in, right? Yeah, I'm just saying. Do you think it's a, it's like overall a good thing or a bad thing to? I yeah, think because some people. What I'm saying is, people might argue that going to a completely fresh school is a is objectively yeah. a good thing because then you get to learn more stuff there and new stuff there and reflect on your experience from the other schools sure. you trained in. I think it would be really stupid to uh, give a blanket answer to that, which is such a cop out, but it's true. If you had a really good experience, like I loved my training year. I absolutely loved it because I, I mm. plunged myself into it. I felt like I made good relationships with, you know, you, <laughs> but like a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people in that school, I felt comfortable there from my point of view of like, you know, the idea of starting in a new school is quite daunting in terms of just having to rebuild like those connections with brand new people and stuff at the start of my career. I'd be more confident doing it now, mm. I'm sure. But like for me, absolutely was the right thing to do. Um, mm. And also the thing is, um, you know, having the confidence to make that jump is a big thing. And what I mean is yeah. by making the jump, making the jump from your training year to NQT in another school, 
that's actually an easier jump, I think. What you did, starting as an NQT or a, or a newly qualified teacher at ECT, whatever it's called now, in a brand new school after training is easier, in my opinion. What's the hardest thing to do is to do your NQT year, do your ECT year, and then have the guts to move. Once you've really plowed in and you've become like a proper teacher, mm. moving school after two to three years, that is a that is a big plunge because you're you're just learning out, you're still learning, you're inexperienced. That's just a fact. And it can be quite daunting. I, I've I've had a lot of people say to me, I'd like to move, I'd like to try something else, but I'm gonna stay in my comfort zone. And it, yeah, it takes sure. them a lot of time to build up the confidence to make that jump. So I would say if you're having a really positive experience in your school that you're training in, go for it. Stay, stay at that school, there's a job. And if they give you a job, brilliant. If you are having a less uh, good, <laughs> for want of a better word, experience. Negative. Some people call that. <laughs> Negative, that, that's the word. Undurfed. If you're having an undurfed experience <laughs> at your school, you need to, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, look elsewhere, you know, branch out because yeah. then you can have be that brave. new start you know be brave early get in somewhere else learn it whilst you're still inexperienced because you can get stuck in schools that is just the truth yeah i think it was a blessing in disguise that i didn't get the job in the placement school the first one that i really wanted to is that is that do you think that's like a personal thing or do you think that extrapolates to do you disagree with me that it's a good thing no i don't know i think you're probably right in terms of there isn't really a blanket answer for me personally it definitely was a good thing because I think there was already a hint of complacency in me. As you can tell from the interview process, already sure. I was starting to be a bit like, ah, oh, you know, I've got this job in the bag. Like, no, it, it really, it woke me up. It made me like, I gave 110%. That third interview I did, when I learned from my first two, the mistakes I made, I gave every, everything to that to mm. that interview mm. and that teaching process. Like I gave so much. And then I and I really valued the fact that I got that job. I don't know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have been that different, but I am glad that I didn't get a job there in the end and it, and I went somewhere else and I was able to draw on that experience which was really different by the way to the actual teaching experience I then kind of gained at this you know the school that we both worked at um where I where I learned so much stuff about teaching mm. so much stuff about teaching like I had a brilliant first first year I think um, maybe the the kind of what what would be a nice way to round this off almost talking about talking about teacher training maybe we could have a very very quick just back and forth about how actually I probably learned most of what I learned in my first two years of being an actual teacher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I learned 80%, I'd say. If I was to put a random number on it, 80% of the of the of my understanding of how to teach well came from the my NQT year for sure. Mm. So, you know, anyone finishing their training year and thinking, Oh, am I ready? Honestly, probably not, but no one is. No one is. Yeah. No one's ready. Imposter no syndrome. Ready. I had that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Fake, big fake time. it till you make it became the justification for a lot of stuff. I remember very quickly on this point of building up confidence, right? Um, and you know, finally you get to the point where in front of your class you're fine because they're your children. They're your first. You always remember your first class. Always will remember those children because you make such a bond with them, and it's such a emotional time for you where you're giving in so much of your life and your yourself. Um, you'll never forget your first class. But I remember the first time. This is so ridiculously specific. And I don't know if you maybe have a similar memory and maybe other teachers listening. I remember the first time I felt confident enough to shout, like, as in raise my voice over the entire school in assembly. I, I remember it because I did it and then I walked off and I was like, I was almost shaking. I was like shaking a little yeah, bit like with yeah, adrenaline yeah. because basically they were very loud coming out of assembly. I think it was you and I, maybe we'd be 
what we'd been we'd been doing something you were there i think but basically we were that was it we were giving out certificates just simple right. stood oh, there yeah, yeah, giving yeah. out certificates just like oh and this person's won this um well done and they finished and they stood up and it was just really really loud and like the head had walked out or something i don't remember but there was no like you know clear slt leading and i would just been really rude and really loud and i i rose i spoke up really loud raised my voice <laughs> cut across and they all went quiet and i remember i'll always remember i kind of looked to the side at one of the teachers one of the teachers who was much more experienced kind of just like kind of smirked and gave me the nod like nice <laughs> like yeah yeah, yeah. No, good one well, i didn't expect that from you <laughs> yeah too bad you were crying at the time <laughs> <laughs> right dylan before we finish up this podcast i have prepared something you have no idea what this is but i found a post you know what i do i scroll through forums and all sorts of things all the time looking for interesting stuff this was an, an anonymous post and i've and it i thought it was so interesting i have to i have to just read this to you on the podcast and get your thoughts on it because it really subverts some of the kind of things we've had on here before. So you're going to ask me a question or am I just going to reply to this cold? Well, my question, I, no, not, it's not really a question. It's just, I'm okay. going to get your reaction. I'm going to okay. read you this, some of this, but I'm going to summarize it. Okay. Right. And um, see what you think. Cool. It says, help. I left teaching and I think I regret it. I left my last school in a way not too dissimilar from many of the stories that we hear. Lots of shenanigans followed by an exit agreement, just really bad terms, you know, things have gone wrong, support plan, all that rubbish. And now work for a charity. It's only been a few weeks, but I'm just not enjoying it. I'm working from home, I'm flexi time, I've got like an amazing role, amazing job, the pay is good, you know, things that people dream for, working from home, flexible time. However, everything and everyone operates at a snail's pace. There was no handover from my predecessor, um, there's lots of chatting about abstract ideas and very much, very little uh, doing the things or getting stuff done. Everything seems really disordered and slow pace. And some days I just find myself sort of sat at the laptop, kind of bored. Like there's not much happening. It's all very slow. And this person then just goes on to just give a little bit more detail about how they then, they're then reminiscing on the things they actually miss about teaching, which they didn't consider when they were leaving teaching. They were just thinking of the negative stuff. And they said, I'm kind of missing the drama. I miss the chaos. I miss how speedy everything was at school. I miss the structure and the clear objectives where you can actually see children learn things and you can see that progress. I miss the fact that something, no matter how big or small, would make me laugh every single day. And that's true. We've said this before. I miss the in the trenches camaraderie with some of my amazing colleagues. And I'm a bit bitter that I worked really hard towards building this respected career and then kind of packed it all in because of the sort of negative experience I had at that school. And they re left it with, I'm almost tempted to go back into teaching, but I'm not sure. Two, two initial thoughts. Firstly, I am kind of sad, kind of always worry about this sometimes when we talk on this, because we get carried away in the podcast, don't we? You know, classic, like get into your rabbit hole. I'm kind of sad that you thought, which is true, that that was like almost the antithesis of the kind of things we say in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, that 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 first my first thought is oh that is sad because I completely agree with that. And what I'm what I'm going to say here again, you know, people can write in and tell us if we're being hypocritical or anything here, but I don't think we are because you're allowed to moan about something which you love. You're allowed to complain, and and if anything, you moan I about find, me, for example. Yeah, and I and I absolutely. <laughs> can't even just say that love it would just it would just me. couldn't say it couldn't say it that's it but <laughs> i i think for me personally 
I get more riled up, more annoyed, more in search of answers or wanting to fix something, the more I care about it. So when I when I'm getting in a rut and I'm getting annoyed and I'm getting frustrated, I'm like, why is this happening with teaching? Why can't they give us a decent pay offer? Why can't they fund the schools correctly? Why can't these children get the absolute best that they possibly can? Why are we not prioritizing the next generation? Why can't we give children free food because they're children and you know nourishing them is an important step to their development? Why can't we invest in education? Why can't we become more actually as a culture, respectful and endearing towards this profession. Why can't we just value these professionals Still going. as they are? Why, Hayden? You know, I'm doing it right now because I love it. Mm. I am a teacher. I will never not be a teacher. I will never not be, and you will never not be a teacher because it's, it's kind of a way of you doing stuff. I love teaching children and seeing progress and helping other people, right? I mm. cannot imagine for a second because guess what? I'd have done it already. I would have done it already. I would have quit teaching by now. I would have done it. And you, no matter how much you're getting ground down, and the sad thing is I can see myself going past that line in the future if things don't change, okay? I can see that. I'll be perfectly honest. But can you, Hayden, imagine sitting nine to five in an office job, not put anything against that. If that's what you do for your job, you crack on. Good on you. But, but as a teacher... Can you imagine transitioning to that? Not, not easily because it is so different. And I think that's what that person has come to the realization of. I think they've realized that even though it, within the chaos, you know, there were actually really great parts of the job. And sometimes a lack of chaos is boring. And I think some people do naturally find that. I speak to so many people, including teachers who say to me, I would honestly love to retire and just go and work in a shop. And they're like, that's, I'm happy with that. They're like, that is a dream to me. And I'm like, cool, fair play to you. I couldn't think of anything worse. Having worked in a shop now, I don't want to do that anymore. I found something else I like doing, which is teaching. And it is chaotic. And now I'm used to it. <laughs> so I couldn't go back. I, I, this is this is what I do now. It's just I, this chaos of, of teaching. So yeah, I think I'd find it really hard. And I can, um, I, I related to that post, even though I haven't, quit teaching and like being in that same situation i felt like i could understand it i can put myself in the shoes of do you know what like, like you i do get really frustrated at this job and i have become really frustrated this year with all, especially with all the politics going around uh, around this job and it has made me think about those sorts of things oh maybe you know maybe i will go past that line and tip over and, and maybe i will be the one of those people that quits and in that huge statistic of people that quit but i think i'd probably be more like this person i reckon i'd regret it i really do i think i'd get bored We've spoken about it before, haven't we? Um, and obviously, I know we, we obviously were full-time for many years. We went part-time. That seemed like a nice kind of middle ground of, I, I can't imagine, I can't just, I just can't imagine never having my foot in the classroom. And I think that's why I, I really am passionate about fighting in this political sense of these strikes, these funding, because I'm trying to fight to keep my passion and my love as something that's worth my while doing. And, and, and is good enough to stay in as a profession. I want to finish up this little discussion now by talking directly to one of our listeners, Rishi Sunak, who we know is one of our listeners, right? Um, so on behalf of the government, I'm talking to the government now. Wait, wait, on behalf of the government? No, not on behalf of the government. No, no, sorry. Not on behalf of the government. I'm yeah. talk, he's on behalf of the government. Okay. I'm, I'm talking to Rishi Sunak uh, as the government. So this is a statistic that came out of a very, very recent study on teachers. And I think it is deeply related to 
the story we just read and the discussion we just had about teaching. Here's the stat. A quarter, 25% of teachers and leaders reported that they were considering leaving the profession within the next 12 months. That's not surprising. That, you know, that's my first <laughs> thought. Not surprising, but sad. Sad because a lot of those people won't want to leave the profession. There is a difference, isn't there, between saying I'm considering leaving this profession and saying I want to leave this profession. I think there's a lot of people in the camp of considering who don't want to. That's why we've got such yeah. a big turnout for strikes. That's why we've got such a big feeling behind this because we're trying to save this profession that we love. No one wants to get out of it. We would rather it be fixed. They did actually find out in the study, and I've got it right here, like why, what the, what the core reasons were. They got the top I, I three reasons. I, I, I've not seen this. Do study, you want to try and I, guess them? I bet I could tell you. I bet I could tell you them. Go on. Workload. Go on. Okay. Is there three? Three the separate ones. There's three, three, three things. Yeah. Workload. Workload. Uh, it's all to do with workload, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other two are a bit harder. Go on. What are the other two? So the workload is number one. 92% okay. of the people that said that, that said they were considering leaving, and they stated the reason is because of increasing workload. Uh, 76% of the people said because of government initiatives or policy changes. Mm. And the third most popular one, 69% said pressures relating to pupil outcomes or inspection. Oh, Hofstede, basically. should have got that one. It's so true. How much, how much of the stress that you've experienced in a school, if you look back, is heavily mm. weighted to when your school's in a window for Ofsted? Yeah, hilariously, I think all of it. Yeah. I think it is top down... All of it comes from Ofsted, genuinely, all of it. I think the high workload comes as a result of leaders stressing out about Ofsted coming in and, and the workload increases. I really do. I think it's just, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. Something needs to change in my opinion, but we can talk about that, I think, in another episode. That's a well, whole discussion. You know what's happening next week, right? Another strike. So I'm sure we'll touch on this in the next podcast. Yeah, let's do it. We'll talk about Ofsted. We'll talk about Ofsted next week and those strikes. Really nice chat there. I did love that. I do love it when we just get our teeth into something and we mm. just get carried away. It was really, really good. It's such a big part of, um, you know, my teaching experience was that training because do you know what? It helped me fall in love with teaching because I realized it's something I really enjoyed doing. And it's probably why we're so passionate now, aren't we, about trying to save this profession. Um, again, one last thing before we go. Guys, if you've got this far and you haven't already given us a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you listen, it is so helpful to us. I can't tell you how many people I've had literally come up to me and say, I can't believe how many reviews you've got. I was like, yeah, because I don't shut up about it. <laughs> I ask everyone who could possibly <laughs> listen. It's so helpful. And if anyone stumbles across the podcast and they see the reviews, they will click on it. So thank you so much for everything you've done so far. Follow, rate, all that good stuff. And I just want to say, we don't say it enough, I guess, because we're being genuine. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you. See you next time. See you next week. Next time. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, sweet. Bye. <laughs>